You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show, Friday, December the 16th. It's cold again here in TW11. Beautiful morning, blue sky, bright sunshine, but sufficiently low temperatures that no turf racing again in the UK and Ireland, and there won't be over the weekend either. High hopes for Punchestown after the weekend as temperatures begin to lift, and we'll see Galapin Deschamps and Co. in the rerouted John Dirk. And what takes place on television on Saturday? Well, we're hoping it's Lingfield and Chelmsford on ITV in the UK, but Lingfield, even on the all-weather, has to survive a 7.30 inspection on Saturday. And Chelmsford's meeting last night couldn't go ahead owing to a frozen stalls issue. Uh, That was met with a mixed response, it would be fair to say, from trainers and Foss Lass, who had a series of inspections for their fixture a couple of days ago. Uh, Fergal O'Brien launched a broadside at, at them too. So tempers are rather frayed as we continue through this frozen period. Um, Passions are running high over the Ronan McNally case also that we featured uh, last week. This is the trainer in Ireland who has been charged with a series of running and riding and integrity offences. Again, we haven't had the full written reasons for those as yet. But the mechanics of this case have been called into question by a number of those who are on the periphery of it. Uh, One such uh, senior figure in Irish racing is the chair of the Irish Restricted Trainers Association, John Fitzgerald, to whom I spoke at some length earlier this morning. Uh, Ronan McNally is a restricted trainer. Uh, I began by asking John just to explain what a restricted trainer was in in Ireland and and how he was responsible for them. In Ireland, we have um, two forms of trainers. We have a full trainer and a restricted trainer. A restricted trainer evolved from the permit holder way, way back. And it's now a a trainer who's allowed to train no more than four horses. Fundamentally, it's more or less exactly the same as a real trainer, but you're limited in the numbers. Most full trainers would have to go through a process of applying for a restricted trainer first and evolve into a full trainer. I mean, that's more or less it. We have about 240, 250 restricted trainers in Ireland and they, I represent them as much as we possibly can um, in day-to-day stuff, questions, um, issues in relation to Turf Club HRI or licensing. So what have you been asked to do? What have you done for, for Ronan McNally? A few years ago when Ronan started, I was first... Um, uh, Stuart's inquiry I think that might have been the real deal um, I was asked to help him on that uh, I also helped him find legal team and had long discussions with him on what was happening and how he could maybe best deal with it etc um, etc et there was a few instances where um, I've wrote letters to the turf club uh, representing him one in particular was to do with a Stuart inquiry at Limerick last year for an non-trier and he was pulled into uh, an inquiry um, and uh, I he asked me would I go with him and I said yeah I'd go with you just to help you and represent you and just stand with you and 
uh, I was walked into the room, four or five people sitting down. Ronan was standing up in the middle of the room, no seat, and I was asked who I was. I explained who I was, and I said, "You're not needed." Um, and I explained what, again who I was and what I was doing here, just just to help and just observe. And I was asked um, quite firmly to leave the room. And did you have any communications with the with the IHB on that, or, or with anyone from the licensed trainers association? I sent I sent a fairly detailed uh, letter to Dara, the new CEO at the time. I didn't get an answer back for quite a long time, actually. And um, basically, the answer was no. We're not changing anything. That's the way it is. What's been your involvement so far in the referral? Uh, the referral, um, just basically going through the documentation with him, helping helping on on discussions, um, going through how we can how we can um, answer certain points, um, going through the detail of it because it's quite a hefty document. The, the initial document he got last early earlier in the year has um, a hell of a lot of detail in there. It's three two and a half three years of work, I would imagine, from the IHRB. Um, uh, every single race, uh, re- relevant race, and every single relevant issue was highlighted and detailed um, to a very high level. Ronan wanted me to come in as a, a character witness, or just to, to you know, have a, a talk about the case and talk about him. And the IHRB refused to allow me be uh, in attendance. Do you know why? Uh, no, I've asked and I've no response other than the, his team were told um, that there's nothing to hear from Mr. Fitzgerald. Okay. Um, it, again, is this something that you've got previous experience of? I've been asked to help loads of people and be character witnesses and it's never been an issue. And I've been in attendance at appeals and referrals. And, and so this is this is unusual. This this is a, this is aberrant to that. Well, <laughs> I'm like for fear of get me getting my head cut off and by them. Um, I would think it's in any rational view or any rational person under any situation, whether it is business or sport, would find it unusual. I would I would have thought. And maybe it's, maybe it's just me, but I would think that what, what if if you've some if if you've nothing to hide, why would you not allow? somebody just stand up you can always you can always refuse it or dispute, dispute it it doesn't really matter but to not allow somebody is to me <sighs> i don't have to put words in people's mouths on that it just seems, seems wrong um obviously you have a responsibility to, to to ensure that that your your membership are uh, upholding the integrity of, of, of irish racing as well given the suite of charges placed before rona mcnally um why are you still happy to to, to support him um, well, it, okay. In in the, in the position that I'm in, whether uh, what I personally believe is isn't really relevant. What I what I believe in is is fairness. If he still gets whatever punishments he gets or not punishment at the end of this process, I don't have a problem with that as long as it's fair, and it's 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 open. And it's it's done properly. That's my only my only here. It's not. I'm not talking about his guilt or innocence. That's not what I'm questioning in this whole process in relation to Ronan. What I'm talking about is this whole thing is done at a level that I don't think is fair. That's really what I'm kind of my line that I'm taking on it, based on some of my my experiences on it, and some of my experiences with other people as well. Do you want to enlighten me on those? <laughs> um, so the fundamental premise by most people that are not in racing or have no familiarity with this 
would, would also would, would assume that this would be run similar to a court of law. But you have to ask yourself the question, it's not. But the penalties are similar to result in the court of law. So in other words, you could lose your license, you could lose your livelihood, you could get a big fine. So in other words, the process isn't as of a court of law, but the end result is as a court of law. So to me, there's a disjoint and the thing needs to get reviewed properly. And like, for instance, on the appeals, for, I mean, the appeal, when you go to appeal, who should be in front of you to appeal? It should, to me, it should be independent, totally independent, and it's not. I'm not trying to come across here as if I'm being a pain in the ass or difficult. It's just I see a lot of these trainers getting hauled across the coals for sometimes issues that are not as significant as they're trying to make them out to be for various different reasons. And again, I'm not defending any issues or any things that really happen. But when I when I look at the the accusations en masse and I look at the case that's been built up over three years and I'm saying to myself hang on a second what's going on here there's obviously I mean anyone reading it would look at it I think this this has been appointed and kind of constructive it's like a constructive dismissal in relation to a business system now I, I mean I, I could get screwed here on this but saying things like that but to me that's what it looks like without giving the defendant proper recourse but I would like to have seen more openness and more um, pure hard evidence in relation to these things as well. Okay. And being able to stand in a room. Like I've been, I've been in the room in one other major case in the last, in the last um, year. And I would see the same thing. Uh, the, the one thing, John, is that we, none of us have seen the written reasons yet. It may well be that those written reasons reveal, reveal things that cl will clarify the situation that at the moment is, 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 uh, is rather opaque. Yeah, but, yeah, but the, my, my argument isn't on, let's say, for instance, hypothetically, there is evidence, absolutely black and white evidence. Fine. Then he deserves what he gets. My problem is a bigger picture thing, is how these things are conducted and ran in general is my problem and how the lack of optics and the lack of external influences and the lack of um, law, if you like, proper law in relation to the process relative to the in process. Because for instance, Ronan, like, like whether it's a full trainer or a restricted trainer, Ronan could lose his license, for instance, right? So, I mean, if he's trying to build a racing uh, yard and, and trying to build a business for him and his family and his son, et cetera, et cetera, going forward, I mean, this, that's a life-changing result of something that if, if it's proven, fine. And I have no issue with that. And I personally have a decent relationship with the, with the IHRB. I mean, sometimes argumentative, but it's, it's reasonably decent. I can go on the phone to people and I can call them and have a discussion. And I don't think I'm, I'm difficult or, or, or awkward or trying to say things that are absolute crap. But there is issues there. And it they don't, and it, these issues are long-standing in, in racing. And anyone in racing, and anyone listening to this that's in racing, will understand more of what I'm saying than people who are not in racing. If you understand what I'm saying. John Fitzgerald, there, head of the Irish Restricted Trainers Association. Now, Cleaner Guy is the head of licensing, legal, and compliance at the IHRB, and was briefly the interim CEO of that organisation. When contacted by this show today. She said the IHRB did not decide what witnesses were or were not called by Mr McNally. That was entirely a matter for him and his 
legal representatives. So clearly, this is being perceived differently by these two parties. That notwithstanding, Lydia Hislop, uh, John Fitzgerald made some interesting points. People will say that, well, a steward's inquiry and then above that it is, isn't really uh, a court of law, but... It is the first step in a ladder that can de- can end up in that direction. And if this is something that I've been aware of with the IHRB structure before, instead of contrasting it to uh, the British Horse Racing Authority structure, which was changed in 2016 as a result of Christoph- Christopher Quinlan, then QC's, recommendation uh, about how it, the disciplinary system should be structured. And essentially that took... Um, oversight of the disciplinary panel away from the BHA and to um, an independent head. It was Brian Barker. Um, That's the judicial panel chairman. Um, It was also recommended in this report that uh, that person should be a a legal practitioner independent of the BHA with an in-depth knowledge of the sport. When Christopher Quinlan made all of his recommendations about the disciplinary structure, the BHA basically accepted all of them. And one of the things that that meant was that Stewards who are currently serving as race day stewards weren't, wouldn't be able to populate the committees uh, and the uh, panels of the disciplinary panel or the appeals board. Now, looking at the IHRB structure, um, current serving stewards uh, populate uh, uh, many of the, the, the people who sit on the appeals board and who also sit on the referrals committee. So it's it, and I, I'm talking potentially here from a, a position of, of slight ignorance. I'm not as um, I don't have an in-depth understanding of the IHRB in the same way as I might do for the uh, British Horse Racing Authority. But it seems to me that the IHRB disciplinary structure is a, pr- a pre-Quinlan BHA, and that you, you might argue, and certainly uh, Christopher Quinlan argued, um, that that is not best practice anymore. It's, he, he, his criticism of the BHA at the, t- at the time was it, was, it has not evolved sufficiently with modern best practice. And as he said at the time, that's not through malice or ill will or bad faith on the part of anyone, but that was just some a structure that needed reviewing. And I wonder whether that might be the case here. I mean, it's a slightly different point to the one that John Fitzgerald is making, but you want to feel that you are getting um, an, somebody independent looking at your case rather than, um, you know, uh, appearing in front of people who are, you know, judge, jury and executioner. It's quite interesting that the, the communication between John Fitzgerald and uh, Dara Lachlan, who's now the um, chief executive of the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. And it's a very long and, and detailed and polite question about the, the case that John was talking about in the interview. Uh, he wrote to, to Dara on the 25th of July, and then he reminded him that he'd written to him again on Monday, the 22nd of August. And then a week after that, on the 29th of August, he finally got a reply, which again was long and very courteous in tone and went into lengthy description as to what he believed a steward's inquiry was or what Lachlan uh, believed a steward's inquiry was. He said, it's not a court of law. And he likened it more to a a referee in a, a rugby or football match. And uh, but then said that subsequent appeals processes, you know, you would bring in um, witnesses and, and so forth. And it would be more of a quasi judicial, judicial process. One issue with that Lydia is that if you've been hauled in on the day for something like for argument's sake, a non-trier, then I think you you could argue that some form of representation or physical support from another body was reasonable. Yes, I think I think you could certainly if the individual requests it. And I would 
as again, as, as I just said, I would dis dispute that view of a steward's inquiry. Uh, you know, we live in a increasingly litigious society. Sport has uh, very much sort of crossed into um, the, the court of law much more frequently than, say, I don't know, 20 years ago. This, the uh, and issues that sporting bodies, you know, rulings that they make can end up in court. And the steward's inquiry, what is said in the steward's inquiry on a race course is often the the evidence that that is put forward there will be used at the next step up and the next step up after that. That is just you know that 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 is just natural. Now, of course, um, in um, the British racing uh, structure, um, the disciplinary panel hold a rehearing, um, and so you know that 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 that, that, it, that is slightly different. Again, that was a, a structure that the that was that was that was brought in it's it started de novo and they they hear all the evidence uh, all over again but but nonetheless that, that what is said in the steward's inquiry can be used in evidence later and so it is the first step in the legal process in my view and that is why you have to ensure that a steward's inquiry is conducted fairly and properly <laughs> Well, an added bonus for anyone headed to Kempton on Boxing Day, and it is forecast to warm up, I promise, is that the Long Walk Hurdle will now be scheduled there. That's the Grade 1 race over three miles, featuring the rematch from Newbury between Champ and Paisley Park. Paisley Park's trainer, of course, is Emma Lavelle. Uh, Emma, um, are you still are you still going to head there? Are you still going to run at Kempton? Look, clearly it's not, it's not ideal. Um, you know, the thing about Paisley, as you all know, is he's about... Uh, staying you know it's all about staying and uh Kempton is more about speed so you know there's no doubt that it, it is not a track that works to our advantage um but uh at the stage that he is in his life um uh you don't probably get many more cracks at grade one races so it's hard to just turn around and say oh we're not going to go because it's on the wrong track so you know I think we probably will um but, um, you know, it's probably, it's not meeting champ for round three or four or whatever it is in, in a track that'll be to our advantage anyway. The comeback was a, well, really a terrific one. And, and jumping the last, I thought, I thought you might just get there. How far off his, off his peak do you, do you think he actually is now? Well, I mean, the interesting thing about that race is I know the ground was pretty, was pretty quick, but that, that race broke Newbury's track record. And I think, um, you know, he's he's an extraordinary horse. And both of them are. You, know, you, you can't take much away from Champ either because at the end of the day, you know, they just still rock up for the fight every time they go to the races. Um, you know, he isn't as quick as he was in, in some way. But, but then I look at you know, that performance and I don't think it was far off one of his best. You said before the race you've been doing a few different things with him this autumn. Do you think that's helped? Yeah, I think it has. I think you know, the thing about Paisley, he's been in training with us since he was three. And um, and although, uh, you know, we've moved yards since since we started out with him, he knows the gallops here like the back of his hand. And, and he knows how much he needs to do where and when. Um, and so accordingly, you know, he's he's not stupid and, and probably saves himself a little bit, you know, when he doesn't need to put it all in at home. So we just thought, just to freshen him up, we took him to the beach and and you know, done a lot of uh, more with him on the grass rather than the all weathers, you know, just to keep him fresh and just to keep him you know, enjoying life. And and I think that definitely made a difference. Uh, and there, well, I don't want to tempt fate, but there was no semblance of him not wanting to start either the other day. 
No, it, it's now when you're watching him, there are a lot of things to sort of concern yourself with as you watch the race through. Um, and, um, you know, his, he, he was very happy about jumping off. So that was sort of first bit ticked um, and actually didn't really hit a flat spot in the same way as, as he can do. So you know, that was another thing. We thought, OK, well, that's good. Um, I suppose the one thing that let us down slightly was that usually his jumping is is just brilliant and he was just a little awkward over the last two and I think that just did cost us. Um, I, did, was it right that you th- the, he thought that the, he'd seen a shadow and was trying to fiddle the shadow? Yeah, I mean, that's Aidan came in and he said, look, I never want to use the, the whole um, you know sun thing as an excuse, but he said that really was, he said he definitely just could see a shadow on that and he just you know, jumped awkwardly because of it. So, yeah, you know, it, as I say, it wasn't something that he wanted to necessarily use as a, as a as an excuse, but he didn't jump in the same way as he normally does and, and over the last couple. And so, um, you know, look, it, it was a great race. I was watching between the, the last, I thought we were going to be beaten a reasonable way and I was happy, you know, first run of the season to finish second. Um, we then uh, suddenly are thinking, oh my God, we've got a chance of winning. And then you're kind of gutted to finish second. So uh, lots of, mixed emotions and just looking at his his overall record he he seems to be fine going right-handed even though he's done most of his his racing left hand he's won a long walk at, at ascot going going right there, there would be no necessary preference to going left would there no not at all i think it's just that cheltenham suits him as a race course because it's a proper stayers track rather than and the same you know the likes of newbury i think it's it's more about the the nature of the of the track rather than whether it goes right or left-handed i think it's more about whether the uh, onus is put on staying uh, and for you and your your team during this cold snap how how difficult and or frustrating has it been um it is it just makes it so much harder work look i know we're luckier than some because we haven't had the snow we've just had this relentless frost but you know, dealing with the waters, trying to, you know, get the water going every morning, trying to, um, you know, get the, the gallops moving in the mornings and all that kind of thing. You know, it just makes what can be quite hard work anyway, very hard work. Um, but, you know, the team are brilliant. And and so we haven't had a, an issue with keeping going. Um, and I think, you know, it just same with the horses when it's as cold as this you just don't want to gallop them in quite the same way a a because your your targets keep disappearing and and b because you know it does put a bit more pressure on them um a keeping warm and b galloping into this very very cold air and you've got a, a horse in the welsh national emma that that's quite prominent in the market would you be well is it is it the plan to go it is the plan to go. Um, she's got a few that need to come out for her to get a run, and and they do need some rain for her. Um, you know, a few of us have just been a little bit disappointing around the period that she had her first run, and I think that was more why she didn't see out the distance as opposed to because she didn't stay the trip. But she's a you know she's a good jumper. She loves the mud, and she you know she tends to be relentless in her galloping. So. You know, I think she's she's tailor made for that race, but she would want the ground to be on the slow side. That's a lovely way to end it, Emma. Thanks so much. <laughs> That's her signing off. <laughs> Emma Lavelle, there clearly looking forward to getting Paisley Park out again over Christmas. Long walk goes to Kempton. Other race courses have been mooted. Lydia, it's um, it's going to be an interesting addition to Boxing Day. Do you like it there? 
Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I can imagine that maybe Newbury might have come in, into the mix just because of the positioning of, of Cello Hurdle Day. Um, and I personally would, wouldn't want it to be a replication of the long distance hurdle. I think there should be diff, diff, horses, different strengths can be tested at different race courses. And so if you just run it at Newbury all over again, um, I'm just, just mentioning this because they had the long distance hurdle. Um, then I think that that's, uh, dull. I realise that Emma Lavelle won't be won't be pleased to hear this, and that she would rather, um, for Paisley Park's sake, be racing somewhere like that. But um, the Long Walk Hurdle is was meant to be at Ascot. It, Ascot is a right-handed track, therefore going to Kempton. I think that that's good. Obviously, they're not similar in terms of character, um, but at least in in that facet, they are similar. Um, I wondered whether the 27th might be a better positioning for it than Boxing Day itself. There might be some reasons why uh, the BHA have gone with and the Jock Club Racecourses have gone with, with Boxing Day. But the risk, I suppose, is that it gets swallowed up by everything else that's happening on that day. And, and Boxing Day is going to be characterised by high class horses, um, but not racing against each other necessarily. So we're probably going to get, what, five, half a dozen in the King George and couple in the Christmas hurdle and a couple in this and uh, but there's there's going to be a lot of selling points but they're just not going to be very big fields are they uh it doesn't appear that way uh I, I think that the King George is going to be very very competitive uh I think it's a, a very interesting race lots of horses going into there off the back of career best performances and horses that you think are just sort of evolving as chasers you know moving out of their 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 novice season or are clearly progressive and quite young so that's going to be that's going to be an interesting race as regards the the christmas hurdle it seems as though we're going to be getting constitution hill versus epiton maybe we'd have first street in there as well so it's going to be um nikki henderson heavy seemingly that matheson hurdle entry for constitution hill is not an option. Why? It's seemingly he doesn't want to go over to Ireland to Leopardstown for 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 that event, which is a a great shame. I mean, I, I realise he's a young horse, but we are always always told that he's constitutionally bombproof. So um, I would, I, and you wonder why, given that um, Nicky Henderson's options have been ever narrowing because of the the weather. Um, if the why make the Matheson hurdle entry if it if it wasn't uh, actually a credible option? Now Epitant and First Street aren't in the Matheson. Um, and and so I mean that that would be could be an option. I mean I assume you can can be um, supplemented. Um, I, I'm not certain about that for for the Matheson, but that would seem to me to be a, a, a viable option. Also, Nikki Henderson saying that perhaps the Christmas hurdle is the last time we'll see Constitution Hill before the Champion Hurdle, which again would be a great shame. Yeah, it would because the, he wanted to use that Sandown race, which has now gone the Contenders Hurdle. There are other options though. I mean. There's loads, there's always other options. I don't see what would be wrong with, say, the Kingwell at Wincanton, the Irish Champion Hurdle, the mm. Haydock Champion Hurdle trial. I mean, yeah, there are there are other options. There are other options, and uh, many would argue there should be actually fewer options to funnel these horses together more often. And uh, there ought to be, in my view, um, and I've spoken about this on Road to Cheltenham with uh, Ruby Walsh, that there should be an Anglo-Irish pattern. He He's the, the same. I mean, we're talking about, it's, this is not like the flat pattern, the jumps pattern. We're talking about the same body of horses, essentially, in Brit trained in Britain and Ireland, who can go for all of these races. And so when there is a duplication between the two different countries, I don't think that's helpful. In Britain, we have duplication within our own country. So again, this would be something of a, I think this is something that needs to be rationalised and a different path taken as we move forward. Given that um, you've mentioned the road to Cheltenham, I, I just one little diversion, if I may. 
because I, I was looking at the um, debate that you and Ruby were having about Honeysuckle and, and, and her running in the mayor's hurdle. And Ruby came up with that neat line about in amateur sport, it's about the taking part and in professional sport, it's about the winning. And if you find a winning opportunity, then then you go for it. But I, I got I'm, and I think this is sort of pretty much where you're at with this. That's fine. But not if you not if you've spent the, the last couple of seasons at the top and 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 the majority of that time you know quest trying to silence the doubters if you like saying well <laughs> you know there there's she's a, she's a champion she's just as much of a you know superstar as the new kid on the block blah 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 well you can't on one hand say that and then on the other hand say well she does look quite good we'll just go for the other one absolutely you you, you really can't uh we're talking about uh a mayor who has won the last two champion hurdles. She is the title holder. The idea that she would dodge and go to the mayor's hurdle is, is just terrible. It, 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 it's, and you, you, you're completely correct to point out that the two narratives around Honeysuckle cannot peacefully coexist. Um, I do hope she runs really well in the Irish champion hurdle and I, and I hope that she runs in the champion hurdle. That's where she should be. I also don't think the switch to the mayor's hurdle is the pushover that many people perceive it to be because if Epiton goes there, um, you know, she was only three and a half lengths behind Honeysuckle in the champion hurdle last season and she made quite a significant error at the last. She put up a career best performance when winning the Aintree hurdle over two and a half miles. So conceivably, she could be better over two and a half miles and that brings them much closer together. I, obviously, I know Honeysuckle's won the race before, but it, she's older now. Um, but but I, I don't think it's a total pushover. Clearly, Constitution Hill is scarier, but, you know, you, you've... With a, with a horse as good as Honeysuckle, it would be a travesty if she were not to run in the champion hurdle. And, you know, Henry de Bromhead took that view with Put the Kettle On, thank goodness. She defended her title in the champion chase and she didn't go for the Mrs Paddy Power chase. But, you know, the, 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 the fact there is a proliferation of races at the Cheltenham Festival, you know, can cause problems like this. And I know that Edward Gillespie, the former managing director, has been interviewed by the Racing Post in the last few days. And he's he's not... He has no regrets about the uh, proliferation of racism and making it into a, a four-day festival. Well, I mean, there are big downsides to it. And there's quite a, a neat piece in the Racing Post today from um, Chris Cook, who is a sort of uh, uh, thinking about Ebenezer Scrooge and the whole Christmas Carol uh, type um, affair. And he goes, you know, to a racing past where, you know, there were no odds-on favourites at the, at, the, um, at, the, at the Cheltenham Festival, um, that 17 different yards when the when when 20 of the 20 races that 17 were run by by different yards uh there was a big field size you know the smallest field size was in double figures you know we have moved into um the cheltenham festival is meant to be uh it sells itself as the pinnacle of sport you know racing's olympics well increasingly you know it's just a a a, a series of coronations and the and the first day of the cheltenham festival very much risking that at the moment although i don't quite buy the facile vega um you know five to four favorite thing I, well i definitely don't buy it and john bond has is yet to see an irish challenger many of those are yet to jump a fence in public and there will be something significant coming to race against him Lydia, front page of today's Racing Post, affordability, colon, the staggering impact it's had on turnover and then in bold in red, £800 million, which translates as a loss to racing roughly of, of £40 million um, under the current levy system. And uh, notable comments in there from the bosses of the major racecourse groups, Martin Crudders from ARC and Martin Stevenson from Racecourse Media Group. Um what do you make of this? And um, what should we interpret from Bill Barber's piece today? 
well, the 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 campaign is still you know full throated um, from from racing aligning itself uh, with bookmakers in the whole conversation about affordability checks. I thought the that what Martin Stevenson said, making a distinction between turnover at, at betting shops as compared with with online turnover, and some concern that perhaps um, those in the corridors of power don't quite fully understand how racing is um, funded and structured in in in, in financial terms. Um, I thought those two points were were interesting. I mean, the, the problem is that uh, I, I, I'm not expecting, I don't think anyone is reasonably expecting, and I, I know that we've seen different from the Betting and Gaming um, Council, but uh, I don't think the white paper will deal with affordability at all. I think it will bat it back uh, to the Gambling Commission, and I think that the Gambling Commission will consult. So everybody out there who has a concern about this in terms of um, having uh, intrusive checks uh, on their uh, private financial affairs in order just to be able to place a bet. Hopefully, I, I think you will have another chance to to make that case. Um, but the problem at the moment is that preemptively, many bookmakers are introducing their own affordability checks. And this is the nightmare scenario for punters because there's no consistency about it. There's no transparency about it. Different operators do it in different ways. And I don't think any of us can really be confident, bearing in mind the way in which restrictions uh, are, are carried out on, on punters who aren't um, who are, aren't likely to prove profitable for bookmaking companies, given that the opaque um, way and offhand way in which that is is conducted. Um, the idea of individual bookmakers carrying out afford affordability checks, I don't think is at all palatable to anybody who knows about placing a bet. That that just is not is not the right way to do it. It, it, there needs to be some sort of uh, transparent, independent mechanism, and it shouldn't be left up to individual bookmakers at the moment. We've got the worst of all worlds. I mean, it'd be really useful, actually, if there was some guidance given on this, because at the moment, I think it's the Wild West. All right. Well, just time for a quick chat with Milton Harris. I'm delighted to say that the uh, Wiltshire-based trainer is uh, in, in one piece after a horrible incident uh, when he was on holiday in Thailand a couple of weeks ago when he got a pulmonary embolism. Um, less good news about one of his star horses, Night Salute, who will be out for a considerable period of time. Uh, Milton we should start with you, but I will start with the horse. Um, what's happened this morning? This is more important, Nick. <laughs> what's happened? Uh, he, ironically, as most people would, even an impartial observer would would know that he's what he is as a little terrier-type horse that does his best and uh, is a competitor. And that probably is part of his downfall here because he, he, unfortunately he had a rotten tooth, for a better phrase, and then the only way to get him the tooth out um, was under general anaesthetic, which which happened um, two weeks ago or so, um, and unfortunately, whilst recovering from the anaesthetic, he decided he should get up quicker than he probably should have, and he's done some damage to a knee, um, which would definitely put him out of action for uh, this season, and, and it could well be career-threatening. So we're at the moment he's still in the Equine Hospital at Rossdale's. Um, the prognosis is certainly better out this morning than it was a week ago when we thought we might lose him. Um, and all being well, he'll come home to recuperate sometime next week. But he certainly won't be seen on a race course for the foreseeable, you know. Oh, what a, sh what a shame and what a blow. That must, be, must have been gut-wrenching for everybody in the stable. Well, it's just you know these things happen unfortunately, and there's people worse off than us, obviously. And but it's it's sort of hard to swallow when it's 
not happened in the heat of battle, isn't it? Not that that makes any difference, but you, you feel like in the heat of battle, it's it's what it goes with the territory. Not having a tooth taken out, you know, that just seems a bit a bit bizarre. But there you are. Look, it's it, it, it's just one of those things, unfortunately. And and, he, and whatever happens, provided he can get himself through this process, which he's uh, always been a fighter since I've had him, um, he'll have a quality of life that we can give him. You know, a quality of life. You've got your star juvenile this season, scriptwriter. Where are we likely to see him next? Um, he. The problem is, of course, the program box has been thrown in disarray because of the two valuable races that were lost on the same day a couple of weeks ago. And I was hoping they might reschedule the Doncaster race, but they've obviously decided not to. Um, so he, he, his options are limited. Um, he probably i would say would turn up at Cheltenham on the 20 is it the 29th i think it is 20, uh, the last you know, the, the january meeting the trials meeting that looks the obvious race or, or there is the um the, the race at Huntington on the, um, probably about four or five days before that but i'd say the Cheltenham race looks the race because he now has a double penalty of course and in you know we need to go into a higher value race to to, to eliminate some of the penalties that he uh, has accrued and he's a good horse yeah, and he looked a good horse when beating Perseus, where he's won since the I think he's improved. We've helped him a little bit since his last run and his last win. I think he's in a much better place. And of course, we expect the Irish to be strong, don't we? But we've, apart from the one race in Ireland that Willie won and was second with, I believe, um, we've seen nothing to sort of find us off the page yet. When you say you've helped him, what have you done? Um, just to help some of his joints, medicated a few of his joints, and a bit of wear and tear that he'd had from... Um, when he in his, I mean, he he would never have had a good, an easy time with you at Cornwall because he was well thought of, thought well enough to run in a Derby trial, um, and he'd been working with good horses, Group One, Group Two, Group Three horses. So there'd been he would there'd been a hiding place for him. So um, I, I should think he finds it a little a little easier here, uh, galloping companion wise. Um, but he seems to be moving uh, much better. He seems very fresh, very well. He's obviously got to keep the lid on him between now and. Um, uh, and that meeting, uh, there's not a lot, lot else for him, really. I mean, it, it, you know, we've got, once we get past that Cheltenham, we've got the Adonis in it at uh, Campton we won last year. We were planning to take the same or similar route that we took with Night Salute, i.e. <coughs> we'll go to the Adonis. Uh, I, I don't see him on heavy, heavy ground. That doesn't mean to say he won't go on soft ground. I just don't see him on heavy, heavy ground. He's not bred to be on heavy, heavy ground, but... Um, I'd be, I, I'm going back to Night Salute, as honourable and wonderful a servant he has been to us, I'd be disappointed if this wasn't a better horse. But of course, as you well know, Nick, you, you know, you, you've got to be born in the right generation, haven't you? <laughs> That's it, Milton. Um, <laughs> There's derby winners that wouldn't lace the boots of Galileo, but they still won the derby. Um, and so we, you've got to be born in the right era. Milton Harris there, wishing him and Knight Salute well. All right, and Lydia, do you have a tip for me for well, I'd, well, to be honest, probably not is the answer, isn't it? Uh, I've got, I'm going to Chelmsford on Saturday in the hope that this all that weather it's on. Is, yeah, is is all weather. And I'm going for the, the 205. It's the mile handicap. And I'm very interested by Lake Sand. Mount of Luke Morris, Ali Strange, um, trains Lake Sand. Uh, this horse is on a really favourable mark. Uh, loves Chel uh, Chelmsford as well. Uh, won a couple of time, times there last year over the course and distance from higher marks i thought that he shaped very well behind channel packet in mid-november he's a decent price um uh, around about 13 to 2 i think um so yes it's lake sand in the 205 at chelmsford on saturday
Yeah, there's been there's been an awful lot of criticism for an awful lot of these race courses not being able to get fixtures on. I mean, Foss last copped a load of grief from Fergal O'Brien and others yesterday. Chelmsford have took a lot of criticism for abandoning late last night when there was an issue with the starting stalls freezing. It's not easy for anyone at the moment. Are, are there are there genuinely questions to answer? Do you think, or do people just getting twitchy and fed up and angry? A, a bit of both, but I mean, I think you know communication has got has got to be good in 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 these scenarios because there are, i mean there are lots of moving parts and i do think it's beholden to race courses to communicate you know to to with, with their their customers with with racehorse trainers to tell them what is what is happening uh on the ground um and if there is you know if there are th- things aren't done in a timely fashion then that has a massive knock-on effect and can have a financial knock-on effect so um i do think that um communication could be better um it, it, are there some questions about um track preparation um for on on the all weather possibly i i i don't know um but maybe this sort of cold hard snap means that uh, some of those processes the, the harrowing process you know are the differences between different race courses as to how they're carried out and does one work better than the other again i don't know but i would hope that this this uh, very uh, bleak uh, week or so i hope there'll be lots of things that are learned as a result of it and it, it, sometimes, you know, if there is no racing for a few days, yeah, you know, it, it's a. Ama- I can't think of another sport where 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 the levels of ire would would ascend as they do in in horse racing when you get a big freeze up. You know what happens? <laughs> Most of the racing is going to be off. Some of the racing you didn't think was going to be off is off as well as the race, stuff you did know was going to be off. You just kind of have to relax and and go <laughs> go with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know. I mean, do we, is it that we just don't get to hear the uh, minutiae of other sports? Maybe you know, maybe you know, maybe people are raging in I don't know uh, football or or whatever. You know, tiddlywinks, darts, at, at, at these various things, predictable things happen, and maybe they feel that they're constantly on a on a hamster wheel and or a merry-go-round, and there is that there, there's that subject coming around again. Maybe we just don't get to hear about it. But yes, we're very good at getting angry in horse racing. Well, there's other things you can do, and then you'll enjoy what happens over Christmas even more. Forecast to rise <laughs> over the weekend. Well, well, you're you're feeling very zen this morning, aren't you, uh, Nick? I've I've no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's because the sun's shining and it looks lovely outside and i haven't been out yet <laughs> well I mean, i'm sure there's some tasks and, that you can do and then i'm off to the london horse show this evening so i'm still getting an equine fix how are you i'm going to that i'll see you there what, what tonight yes to watch the dressage yes oh you will yes wave at me in the commentary box i will do <laughs> all righty um i will see you later i will see you all on monday Morning. Don't forget, Charlotte will be back this evening. Uh, I was going to say to to round up everything ahead of tomorrow's racing, but um, <laughs> she's got a work cut out this week, so I'll be interested to listen to tonight's edition. Um, that's it from us. We will see you again on Monday. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary. Mm-hmm.